Got it. Well, welcome to Revelations. I'm Bob Kosher. And my guest today is Russell Kors. How are you doing today, Mr. Kors? I'm doing great, Bob. Thanks for inviting me. Looking forward to chatting with you a little bit. All right. Well, uh, Mr. Kors here um, is a geology teacher at uh, a rural high school. Um, first question today, uh, Mr. Kors, what made you interested in geology? Well, Bob, that's a loaded question. Um, and, and I don't just mean uh, in terms of uh, my backpack being loaded with rocks, because it often is when I go out. So um, I think and I think that illustrates perhaps what made me interested when I was a kid, I always enjoyed uh, picking up the rocks that were that were around me. I mean, among other things, I, I collected insects for a while. I had an insect collection and uh, among other things. But uh, I think in the end, it was really the rocks that really were exciting to me. I remember going as a kid to visit family in Arkansas. And one of the highlights for me were was visiting rock shops uh, where I could see a wide variety of rocks and minerals being sold. Never was able to really buy any, but it was cool to see them all. And then also a place called Coleman's Crystal Mine where uh, where I could mine rocks from the tailings, uh, really just quartz crystals. Uh, and that was a lot of fun. So, you know, and I love going to the Natural History Museum. So I think uh, in Cleveland where I grew up. And so I think I think those experiences were really formative for me. Uh, but then I would say that it really was kind of sealed for me in eighth grade. I had a I had an earth science or yeah an earth science teacher in my eighth grade uh, middle school um, earth science class where uh, Mr. Gale, who uh, was himself very interested in geology, and he would uh, and on the side uh, not only collect and collect samples to create rock kits to sell to schools, but he also did something very interesting. He would go into the uh, the Cuyahoga Valley and extract from the Berea sandstone and so forth um, Dunkleosseus fossils, which are a uh, one of the early bony fish from the Devonian period. And uh, among other things, he would then make casts out of those uh, latex, latex molds from the casts and then uh, sell those. And I found that to be fascinating. And he was just a really cool guy. So it sounds like it yeah um well i'm sure um i've heard that you've traveled to many different places as well um what's your favorite place you've traveled both in terms of geology and in culture that's an interesting question also i um i will say that uh the life of a geoscientist is one uh that is typically full of travel and you, you, you have sites you want to visit. And, and this, and it's no different for me. I mean, I, uh, my master's work was done primarily in Ohio and Kentucky, not tremendously dramatic. Uh, but then I, I went to my field school in, uh, and, and visited a bunch of sites out West. Uh, I did my field school for the state university of New York at Buffalo. And we visited four, four locations each a week at a time. Uh, in the in the great American West, so to speak, and places as varied as Utah, New Mexico, Colorado, and Wyoming, and I just fell in love with it out there. I hadn't been out west, um, that part of the country, the Southwest specifically, uh, yet, and so 
My favorite place is probably New Mexico uh, in terms of both geology and culture. New Mexico has a wide variety of landscapes. You've got all the classic sedimentary formations of the Colorado Plateau, uh, the, the Wingate sandstone all the way down to the, the Moencope and so forth, classic formations, but you also have um, there uh, lots of volcanic and igneous, um, more broadly igneous materials. And uh, you just have a fabulous um, history there with the, there's the Spanish part, but there's also, more importantly, the, the Pueblo part. And the, the Pueblo, uh, the 19 Pueblos that are still uh, thriving in New Mexico, of course, are the, are the, uh, are the inheritors of the cult, of the, of the traditions from the ancestral Puebloan peoples. And for me, I don't know, there's a, there's a, and I think that's because I also have a, a significant interest in archaeology, and those two are the geology and the archaeology are, are really intertwined for me. I'm really interested in sedimentary rocks and what they tell me, but also uh, how how people have interacted with the landscape, and those that that's often recorded in geological materials. Well, that leads into what I was going to ask you next. Um... So I would take it um, sedimentary rocks and how they show, you know, fossil records is part of your favorite bit of ge geology. Yeah, I mean, I would say that um, rocks are a lot like people, um, and and people with are gonna people hearing that might laugh, but you know, when you think about people, the people that you interact with on a daily basis, I mean, there's such variety, not only in how they appear, but in how they how they think and how they behave and and so forth. And you know, there's always a danger in classifying people, as we know, um, trying to compartmentalize them in any way, shape, or form. We might give ourselves certain identities, but we don't, we, we try to veer away from classifying people. It gets us in trouble. Rocks do, you know, rocks can't tell us we can't classify them. Um, traditionally, rocks and minerals are subject to what some see is a relatively simplistic or maybe structured kind of classification. And I think that's, uh, it's short-sighted and also at the same time really doesn't allow the rocks to speak and tell us what they're really trying to tell us. So when you really get, really, really get to know um, how to speak the language of rocks, what a friend of mine, Callan Bentley, would sometimes call, uh, quote, unquote, speak, speaking rock. It's, uh, it's another language. And the terminology, the, uh, the, the words, the modifiers you use, they sound very foreign, you know, ferruginous, uh, things, like, things like ferruginous, things like uh, vitreous, things like uh, um, vesicular and so forth, porphyritic, porphyroblastic. But what they tell, what, what, those, what those terms tell us when we're trying to identify specimens and samples is, they're telling us something about where they came from and like people who have all, you know, who bring with them stories themselves and, and of course, appearances and so forth and genetics that, that you know, give them a give us each a, a unique flavor. Uh, likewise, rocks come bring with them um, similar stories. It's just, we don't, we can't ask them to tell us the stories. We have to learn to listen and to tease them out from the specimens 
uh, that we have in front of us. And so, you know, a rock will tell you all about where it was formed if you know how to listen to what that rock is telling you. And a rock will tell you all about that ancient environment uh, if you know how to interpret that based on what we have, the kinds of environments we have today. And of course, that's using the principles of uniformitarianism, which go back to the 19th century. Rocks have stories to tell, and we just have to learn to listen to them. Just like people have stories to tell, and we have to learn to listen to them as well. Yeah, that's very powerful. Thanks. Um, <laughs> well, um, speaking of listening to people, um, you're a geologist, so I you would be the person to ask. Earlier, you mentioned uh, field school. Mm. Um, would you mind um, talking about that a little more to anyone who doesn't know what field school is? And sure, um, you know, in in most subject areas, you uh, you'll go to college for your bachelor's degree, and then you'll go on for a master's and PhD, or however far you decide to go. I uh, I did go on for a master's degree in geology and intended to go into industry somehow one way shape or form i actually intended to go into the environmental geology um, area hydrogeology specifically so looking at water uh despite how much math there is involved with that but in, in, in actuality to, to pursue any of that graduate work beyond a uh beyond your your bachelor's degree before you leave ideally before you leave your your undergraduate institution you should attend a field school a summer field school and traditionally, what you do with those field schools is learn how to map the rocks in context. So you're learning to create geologic maps, and geologic maps are sort of the bread and butter kind of publication uh, traditionally that geologists produce. Now, field schools have it. Field schools have have evolved a lot uh, in the last thirty, in the last twenty some years since I've attended field school. But I think it's still uh, it's still something that's encouraged or even expected of anyone entering a graduate program in geology basically what a field school is it's summer four to six weeks you're out in the field eating pbj hiking all day long up and down up and down mountains up and down hills with a map board pencil paper rock hammer brunt and compass maybe an acid bottle uh maybe an apple for snacks at some point during the day uh getting hot sunburned sweaty bit up full of uh you know poison whatever it's great. It's, it's, it's like the most fun you've ever had in your life for weeks. And, uh, you know, not all field schools are quite like that. There's JMU has one that goes to Ireland that I'm not sure is quite that uh, intense in terms of its outdoorsy experience. But mine was. I Those four weeks, um, there's one week traipsing through the Canyonlands uh, area of Utah. Another week was in the Sangre de Cristo Mountains in northern New Mexico looking at metamorphic rocks. Uh, that was my first experience at 9,000 plus feet elevation, and it really was really a, a, a lesson for my lungs. Um, and then, uh, then there was a week in the Shirley Mountains of Wyoming, and a week at Dinosaur National Monument in the, on the Colorado side. And and in all of those, you know, there were new new geological things to learn and to see in context, not just rocks, the rocks themselves, but the structures that. Are, have been created through various mountain building processes and plate tectonics and field school is really where you bring all of it together and try to reconstruct what you're what's going on in that location um, through field work 
I mean, that is the bread and butter. And that it's, I mean, geology for the, for people interested in, you know, forensics and things of that nature. I mean, again, you're trying to figure out what the rocks are telling you. Sometimes you have a whole group of rocks trying to tell you something. They're all stacked together and they're all folded and faulted and everything else. And it's like, they, that's like, they're screaming at you to listen to them. But of course you can't audibly hear them. You have to go and look at each one of these things separately and see what it's telling you and then look at them all in context and you can begin to see what's going on what they have to say yeah that's really important formative yeah. thanks this was awesome well just hearing that got my brain racing thinking of all the amazing things that geology is about before talking to you today uh I didn't really understand a whole lot about it out in the field. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the greatest misconception about geology? <laughs> oh, there's, there's a number of them. I think um, one of them might be that geologists are, well, it depends on the perspective. I think one of the misconceptions is that geologists, uh, um, geologists themselves are, uh, you know, just a bunch of people interested in these dumb rocks, right? I mean, Typically, I think the biggest misconception about geology is just, just about rocks. Mm. And I think, I think that's the toughest one for me because once you, once you get further into the science, uh, and of course, it's different from biology, chemistry, and physics because everybody has some exposure to biology, chemistry, and physics, and especially biology. So most everybody understands what biology is about, or at least has a pretty decent grasp of that. Most people don't have a course in geology in their in their education, so they they associate it with just oh, it's a, you know, just people learning about rocks. The fact is, though, that you know we're all here. We're talking on Zoom together and using laptops, and none of this would function if it weren't for geologists identifying petrochemicals or you know um, fossil fuels that produce the plastics that make computer housings or the metals that go into creating circuitry and, and so forth. Or for that matter, I'm on a wireless internet right now. So, you know, the, the fact that um, I'm able to communicate across distances like this, I mean, all that requires metals, materials, and so forth. And all of that has to come from someplace. And we, we drive every day. We use fuels every day. I mean, energy period is geology. And so I think the greatest misconception is that we're just kind of hanging out, looking at rocks. But geologists are many, in many ways, uh, major, well, fundamentally major contributors to society functioning, period. And even, I could even make it boil it down to something as fundamental as just eating and drinking. I mean, is your water clean? Do you know if your water's clean? Where are you going to get water? Are you getting it from the ground? If you're getting it from groundwater, then it's a purely geological resource. Um, surface water is a geological resource. Uh, we could talk about... Uh, uh, food, soils, soils are a geological resource. Soils are the, are weathering products, products of weathering from rock and soils are different based on the bedrock that they're being weathered from and, and different locations and so forth. And, uh, we're going to talk about that next week a little bit, but, um, <clears throat> I think the biggest misconception is not, is, is mostly what people just don't realize is, is going on when it comes to what geologists are doing and what geology is about. I would say actually geology is actually kind of a narrow 
a narrow area of the geosciences. And the geosciences, when, um, when I say geoscience, I mean climate science, I mean geology, I mean uh, environmental science, I mean um, any number of different things, structural geology, geochemistry, geophysics, and so forth. There's a whole slew of sciences under the aegis of geoscience. And so it's a much bigger world out there and then people realize and uh under how we understand that world you know is is really a geological phenomenon yeah and so you know that's i'm i'm, I'm puffing puffing all these uh, puffing us geologists up there a little bit i'll i'll admit but uh, talk to the physicists they do the same thing <laughs> well yeah i had never even thought about how crucial geology was for every aspect of life as we know it every everyone i mean i'm gonna eat i'm gonna eat my uh my chili here out of a bowl here shortly made out of uh clay and glaze with a glaze on it that's a chemical glaze that comes from geological materials i mean the whole thing firing it i mean it's it's all geological everything's geology at least that's the way i look at it so yes i see everything through the lens of geology um that's it's more fun for me that way too Well, it's been fun talking to you. So, been a pleasure. Thank you for being a guest. Thanks for having me on, Bob. And uh, you know, I look forward to look forward to chatting about uh, whatever the next topic is. If there's another another chance to do this. Been fun. Of course, I'd love to have you back on. All right. Great. Thanks. Yep. Yeah, you have a great night. Take care. Too.